Hello, my name's Florence. Welcome to the OBS pod. I'm an NHS obstetrician, hoping to share some thoughts and experiences about my working life. Perhaps you enjoy Call the Midwife, maybe birth fascinates you, or you're simply curious about what exactly an obstetrician is. You might be pregnant and preparing for birth. Perhaps you work in maternity and want to know what makes your obstetric colleagues tick, or you want some fresh ideas and inspiration. Whichever of these is the case, and for that matter, anyone else that's interested, the OBSPOD is for you. Episode 7, Motherhood, Part 1. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about my own experience of pregnancy and birth. And I've been wondering at what point in this podcast series is it the right time to do this and also how to approach this because the story of my own pregnancies and births is really important to me. Obviously, as part of my personal history, the formation of my family of four, a major life event, but it's also had a big impact on my practice today. The other tricky thing is that I've talked about some elements of this before. So I've talked and shared my birth stories during my Matex work. So to bring a new audience into understanding the effect pregnancy and birth has had on me and on my work, as well as interesting people that may have heard some of the story already, is quite tricky. So here goes. Let's start at the beginning. A medical career is complicated. One has a lot of training and is undergoing that training and taking exams well into your 30s. As a result, many of my life events have in effect been punctuation along my career. I got engaged as a medical student, but we didn't get married until the end of my house jobs, purely because that was the first time we could actually live in the same place. So I was married at 25. The first years of our marriage... We were both working incredibly hard. I was doing the one in four I've mentioned in my first couple of episodes and my husband was travelling extensively for his work. It was very difficult to get my precious registrar job but once I had, this felt like my opportunity. I had relative job security for five years so I knew roughly what region I was going to be working in although I was going to be rotating around. And I also knew roughly what my training was going to involve over that time. And at that time, I was 29. Being an obstetrics and gynaecology doctor, and one in a long-term stable relationship at that, one has to plan one's family. It would be unbelievably embarrassing if you, the specialist in reproductive medicine, were unable to master contraception. Also, Being a doctor in this area, one knows the biological benefit of having children at a suitable age. I assumed if I got pregnant working in an ONG department, people would understand and be accommodating. In retrospect, I was hugely naive. The midwives were the first to guess I was pregnant. So I was working in the hospital that was a long drive away that I mentioned in my flying solo episode. The midwife's radar seemed to go off almost immediately. 
I was only six weeks pregnant when one of them directly asked me, are you pregnant? I've always been a really bad liar. So I confirmed it and asked how she could tell. And she said I was unusually tired and lacking my usual enthusiasm. And it's true, the sapping exhaustion of the first trimester really took me back. I was really lucky. I was never actually sick, just very nauseated. And everything seemed like an incredible effort. Totally exhausting. But I soldiered on. And being quite traditional, I waited the kind of prescribed 12 weeks for my first trimester scan to make sure everything was okay before telling anyone else. So having had my scan, going to my consultant and telling him, I didn't really get the response I'd hoped for. That's a shame, he said. To me, this was quite an unexpected response. I was happy and excited. I assumed that he would be too. I'd assumed that others would be happy for me. And when I look back, it's not surprising that a lot of my colleagues and and doctors now end up having their children in their late 30s and 40s. And an increasing number of my colleagues are having their babies as consultants, pushing their pregnancies to a much older age as a result of their career. So I was pregnant I was driving really long distances and working flat out and I was doing a one in five rotor with an enormous amount of responsibility as a first year registrar. I was lucky my pregnancy wasn't complicated but I started to experience all the normal kind of routine pregnancy symptoms that women had told me about in clinic. Nothing exciting, just the normal things that we obstetricians can tend to dismiss without a thought. I had raging heartburn. I would sometimes sleep propped up with three or four pillows or sometimes sitting up all night. Whatever I did, it didn't seem to improve. Leg cramps that would make me yelp and jump out of bed in the middle of the night, much to my husband's concern. And I also experienced carpal tunnel. That's numbness in my fingers, fingers feeling like a massive bunch of bananas, numb and swollen first thing in the morning because of pressure on the nerve in my wrist. I also had some incredibly vivid dreams, particularly when I was on call. Somewhere in my subconscious, my experience having worked in preterm baby unit had kind of got confused with my pregnancy. So I would wake up on call and realise that I'd had a very vivid dream that I'd had an incredibly preterm baby whilst I was working. So I'd dream that my baby had arrived hopelessly preterm, born in my on-call room. I think this was my brain trying to deal with the knowledge that so much could go wrong. And it's quite difficult when you're a doctor and you know all the things that can go wrong and you've seen a lot of abnormal things to keep grounded in the reality of most things being normal. So I plodded on in that hospital to 28 weeks when I was due to change hospitals. On my departure as a routine, my consultant had to fill up a form about my training and this goes into a large A4 folder that replaces the little green logbook that I mentioned in episode two. 
So after documenting many complimentary things about my ability and my training and what I'd achieved in the year at that hospital, there was a section headed areas in which there's evidence of insufficient progress. And my consultant wrote, training interrupted by the birth of her child, but I am happy that Florence will make up for lost time very quickly. When I read this, I'm pretty stunned. I remember that bad reaction to the news of me being pregnant, but to actually document this in my training portfolio, so much so that I can open it now, 20 years later, and still see that attitude written down in black and white. It's quite incredible, really. And I realised this should have been a warning sign for what was to come. Being an organised sort of person, I'd already contacted the deanery, that is the organisation in charge of my training rotation, and told them I was pregnant, what my due date was, and when I might want to go on maternity leave. And I foolishly assumed that the deanery would have communicated with the hospital I was about to move to. Sadly, this wasn't the case. So I turned up at 28 weeks pregnant to the shock of the unit I was going to. Their immediate response was an attempt to dock my pay. So because I was heading into the third trimester and I was working very hard and a quite intense on-call rotor, I thought that probably I should adapt my hours and possibly not do nights on call before I went on maternity leave. And at that point, pay was your basic pay. And then you were paid what was called ADHs, additional duty hours, which were your on-call. So they tried to give me a contract that was just my basic pay with no on-call. And this was a significant proportion of my pay. So your ADHs were a large proportion of your pay. And after much stress and upset, this issue was only resolved by going to the BMA and getting their intervention. As their view was, this was discrimination. I think the thing about that episode that shocked me the most wasn't actually the hospital's attempt to do this to me. It was actually that it was instigated by a senior female consultant who was in charge of the department. And I think up to that point, I'd kind of assumed that sexism and discrimination and inequality was about men and men's attitudes to women taking maternity leave, um, women having babies, women working less than full time. Whereas this was a woman and I found that really quite difficult to get my head around. So I started in a new job, in a new hospital at 28 weeks on this rather difficult footing. Not an easy thing to do in the last third of your pregnancy. And alongside this, I was actually trying to prepare myself for motherhood because as an obstetrician, I've already mentioned, you literally deliver the baby and hand it on. My only experience of babies had been with the babies in the neonatal unit and paediatric surgery. So I knew well enough how to look after an unwell baby in a hospital setting but I had absolutely no idea how to look after a healthy newborn at home. So despite my job, 
I thought I'd better enrol in some antenatal classes. And the first antenatal classes I decided to go to were run by one of the hospital midwives at the local clinic near my house. So I turned up for the first antenatal class and we sat in a circle and the midwife started to talk. And the more she talked, the more uncomfortable I felt. Not because I felt I knew a lot more than everybody else in the class, but because what she was saying felt quite biased. So everybody knows there are lots of different opinions about childbirth, lots of different opinions about maternity care. And I guess I expected from the NHS hospital antenatal classes a fairly realistic idea about labour and birth and the choices that I needed to make that would sort of match what my experience was from work. So I was rather than taken aback when this midwife started to talk in a quite alternative way about labour and birth. And the thing that really finished me off was when she discussed what we might do with our placenta. And one of her suggestions was that we as a group might want to take home our placentas and plant it in the garden. And she even told us that she had taken home her own placenta and planted it in the garden and planted a rose bush. And this isn't an unreasonable suggestion, but for me, this was a step too far. This felt odd. I could imagine foxes digging up my placenta in my garden. Didn't really feel like the NHS straightforward antenatal class I was expecting. So I walked out of that class at the end and I never returned to the rest of them. It wasn't for me. So I had to think where I was going to turn to next. And I signed up for NCT classes. Now, this might surprise you because the NCT, National Childbirth Trust, and obstetricians are sometimes seen as loggerheads. The NCT sometimes teach something called the cascade of intervention. They're concerned that obstetricians may intervene excessively. So going to an NCT class as an obstetrician didn't immediately seem like a natural fit. My rationale was my husband wasn't medical. My husband needed good information about what we were going to go through. I needed to meet some friends. I needed to find some people that were having babies at the same time as me that would be a bit of a peer group for me and a cohort. I didn't have any friends with babies. I was the first one of my friends to get pregnant and the first of my siblings, so my sister and my husband's sisters also. And as I've already mentioned, I didn't know what to do with a newborn that wasn't sick. So being a very open, honest person, I was concerned about turning up to NCT classes as an obstetrician. And I actually wrote to my NCT teacher in advance of our first class to explain to her what my job was and explain to her why I felt I needed to attend her classes. And 
to make sure she was comfortable with that and that she knew up front what my job was. We had classes as a couple. We had six couples in our group. We had some very good classes. We made some very good friends that we kept regularly in touch with and met regularly with um, well into our children's teenage years. And yes, I did tell the rest of the class what my job was. I was open about it. And that did enable me to answer a few queries and discuss a few issues. But most of the time I sat on my hands. Most of the time I didn't refer to the knowledge I had. I let the teacher teach. She taught us a lot about feeding, about life with a new baby, about how our time would be divided up, as well as labour. And that was helpful. It definitely helped me prepare for parenthood. It was quite amusing right at the end of our classes when another couple within the class confessed that they were both doctors too, something that they had kept to themselves the entire time. And this did take me by surprise and I did feel that they hadn't really been honest about who they were and their knowledge. But that's their choice, I guess, but not the approach I took. One of the challenges in late pregnancy was operating, operating very heavily pregnant. You can't get as close into the operating table as you need because you have a pregnant bump in the way and it's exhausting spending many hours at the operating table standing and one of the most complicated cesareans I did, I did when I was 34 weeks pregnant And we were in theatre for five or six hours because the woman had a very severe hemorrhage. I'm pleased to say that she did recover, but it was a very stressful, very difficult long surgery that I was performing with a consultant. And at the end of it, I was absolutely whacked. I was exhausted. So the practicalities of doing a very physical job, physically and emotionally demanding, standing for long hours operating when you're heavily pregnant is quite difficult. My sleep was massively disrupted. I've already mentioned I had raging heartburn. I found it incredibly difficult to sleep, so much so that when my baby finally arrived, I actually found nights disrupted with feeding a baby way better than nights disrupted during pregnancy. I didn't sleep either because I had heartburn, because I was uncomfortable, because of the baby's movements, which were literally like having an alien inside me, or because of the constant trips to the loo. When I finally went on maternity leave, I napped like nobody's business. I was absolutely exhausted. So working in pregnancy is a challenge, whatever work you're doing. During my second pregnancy, I was actually quite unwell. I had two hospital admissions. Once 
with a small bleed and a significant chest infection and sinus infection. And then another one with a bleed. And I returned to work both times. And the second time I returned to work, a wise consultant took me to one side and said, what are you doing here? You're 32 weeks pregnant. You've had two admissions. I appreciate you're very diligent and conscientious, but don't you think you should take maternity leave? Because although you want to work and although you feel it's early and although you feel you'll be letting everyone down, if you have a pregnancy complication and a problem, everyone will be very sad for you. Everyone will be very sympathetic. But at the end of the day, it's only you that will have to live with it. So actually invest this time in yourself and your baby and stop work. And often when I see women in clinic, I reflect back on that advice. It was good advice. A few weeks here or there in a whole career to invest to get a healthy baby. Yes, maybe I could have worked. Yes, maybe it wouldn't have made any difference whatsoever. But actually, was it worth the risk? Not really. She was absolutely right. So that brings me to today's zesty bit. And today's zesty bit is to say, when women are pregnant, women in your workplace, cut them a bit of slack. They're growing a new human. And even if they don't have any complications or any problems, and it's a inverted commas, straightforward pregnancy, they will still be exhausted. They will still be being challenged. They will be facing massive physical changes within their body and turbulent change within their families. Public Health England data suggests that as many as 45% of pregnancies are unplanned. That doesn't mean they're unwanted, just that the woman may have had her life turned upside down by the news and may be grappling with all sorts of issues at the same time as being pregnant. So when we're caring for women, we need to be holistic in our care and understand this is a life-changing event we're supporting, which takes far more than clinical care alone. We need to be tolerant of those we work with who are pregnant and care for those that are coming to us for advice. And if you're a pregnant woman, sadly the attitude I encountered in my work has not gone. There are many women I encounter in clinic with similar challenges to their work and jobs during pregnancy. So if you're a pregnant woman, don't be afraid to stand up for yourself. Don't be afraid to ask your midwife and obstetrician or occupational health to support you. And don't be afraid to approach charities such as Maternity Action who are there to help. So that's today's zesty bit. So I do hope you've enjoyed listening to the OBS pod. If you have, do like, subscribe or leave a review and join me again to explore more about the life of an NHS obstetrician. 
I'm finding it really exciting to have people listening and give me feedback about what they've found interesting. So please do recommend the OBSPOD to other friends, colleagues, or people who you think might find it interesting. I'd love it if you'd share with me what you've enjoyed about listening and if you've done anything differently as a result. I can be found on Twitter at FW Maternity and at the OBSPOD. And please do check the MATEXP hashtag, hashtag M-A-T-E-X-P and the website matexp.org.uk for more information and ideas on how to improve women's experience of maternity care. Finally, I'd like to reassure you that I take confidentiality very seriously and although I'm talking about experiences from my working life, I'm taking great pains to make sure that I anonymise the stories and talk in more general terms so that I keep confidentiality of my women I currently care for and have cared for in the past very safe. Many thanks for listening.